Welcome to This Week in 40K, 40K. your daily dose of all things Warhammer 40,000. 40, Each day, Monday through Friday, we explore the Warhammer 40,000 tournament scene and bring you the latest news, updates, and opinions. We'll be diving into the latest developments in the 40K tournament community, discussing results from events, new releases, and upcoming events, and interviewing some of the biggest names in the world of Warhammer 40,000. So, whether you're a seasoned veteran or a newcomer to the hobby, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us as we delve into the world of 40K. Here's your host, Mufasa. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to today's episode. Today we are doing another interview with a faction specialist to try to extract the generalizable lessons that these experts have developed by playing one faction over and over again and spreading that wisdom with you. No matter what faction you play, you'll be able to learn something about how to improve your game, whether you're a faction changer, meta chaser, or a faction specialist yourself. Today we have Kyle Grundy. Kyle has been world-renowned as a Tau player within the UKTC circuit he has an award named after him the grundy award we award at every single event of ours to reward a faction specialist who outperforms where their faction should be kyle has finished first in the itc as the top tau in 2021 he also came third at our newcastle super major and back at the beginning of ninth when tower absolute pants he went five and oh when everyone else was struggling to go better than two and three with the pre-ninth tau codex kyle welcome to the show thanks for having me zach it's a pleasure being on Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate chatting to you. You know, as I said, you are a staple of the UKTC circuit. Many people listening will have met you or perhaps even played you. You've been around for so long. So why don't you just give us a little bit of background about how you got into 40K and in particular how you ended up becoming a Tau specialist? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm um, a fantasy player at heart and uh, I always go down to the local GW store when I was like 14. My friend had a fantasy army. I started playing Lizardmen and uh, I accidentally turned up... Um, one night to a Thursday gaming night, which was a 40k night rather than a fantasy. And uh, I said, well, I don't really want to do combat in 40k because that's what my lizardmen are for. And a guy just said, well, just do Tau. They just do shooting. And I saw saw the army and then bought it. <laughs> and then I've stuck with them ever since. So it's like 16, I was 16. So it's like 20 years. 16 years ago. Yeah, I remember lizard men back in the day. I think the Saurus Warriors ended up like a zero mm. save or something. They were very chompy. But you ended up with Tau. You've been playing Tau ever since. And, yep. you know, I mentioned a second ago that you went 5-0 and with Tau at Nottingham. Mm. Um, for the, This was not Nottingham that just happened, for anyone that's listening. This was Nottingham before, and I believe it was just before the Tau Codex came out, and they were running an 8th edition Codex. People were going like one and four, two and three was like a strong performance for Tau at the time, and you went five and zero. Oh. Mm. And um, you've been going four and one for a long time, and everyone was taking notice. And then you went five and zero; oh, it, sh- it was a shock. Um, so you've obviously played Tau from when they were rubbish to when they're obviously now very good. So what are the differences you've encountered as a faction specialist for playing your faction when they were pants to now playing when they're good? Is there any different approach you take? Any different ways of playing the game or thinking more risk averse, less risk averse? Like what's your sort of differences when you're struggling with the meta as opposed to dominating it? So yeah, well, Tau have always um, been a very kind of um, predominantly kind of oppressive army um, with the shooting and the various um, available well, stratagems and stuff and tricks available to them. But obviously, like you said, when they were trashed here, um, 
it just wasn't working against the meta. So it forced me to kind of take a different approach and have a look at things like the charge phase, um, using um, charge phase as a form of extra movement. So, you know, currently tau can fire and fade as a stratagem but back then we didn't have that so i was using charge moves to utilize that extra movement to get into positions um and the list was very much centered around you know three key parts big crisis team riptide and farsight and using some stratagems available in the greater good book which was doing damage in the charge phase and then obviously in the combat phase it was this big blob of nine so it was able to use this big hammer unit um to apply pressure um, anywhere on the board so i suppose my mindset changed from just shoot stuff have the correct target allocation which is to utilize all of those abilities that i've had as a, a, a bespoke tau player but then learning the charge phase and learning how to get the most movement out of it that was a key crucial difference between what i was doing and what other tau players maybe weren't doing that's really interesting because you know tau are obviously a shooting army mm. and if you only play tau then you probably do like some of that skill refinement that people get from piling consolidate manipulation charge manipulations mm. you just mentioned and um you know there's other armies that are primarily combat armies you know we spoke to chris radford in the first segment of this um new sequence we're doing on faction specialists and they're obviously more combat army so you perhaps his skill development for things like shooting target prioritization um may be less well developed so do you think that you know this playing out with thinking outside of the box when you when your faction wasn't very good has you know developed that skill set for you um, absolutely and, and, I would fully agree. Sorry, and, and now Tower are good again. Do you, are you able to utilize any of those skills you developed then? Now you've got a good codex? Yeah. Um, like I said, I think it's spot on because it's it, being put under the pressure of having a trash tier codex um, has, I suppose, broken me out of my shell to make me learn something that otherwise I wouldn't have put the attention into so that lesson has kind of followed me through into when we've got a powerful codex and then when i kind of played just one army of a different faction like blood angels i was able to pick up on that skill that i'd learned to apply it um so i think you know my advice to people out there is learn phases that you don't usually have access to to kind of better your overall skill yeah and of course you know people are going to be trying to charge tau so by developing your own skills in those phases you're obviously going to be able to understand what's going to be coming at you in a more sort of nuanced and refined way um now tau are good now they've been dominating or not dominating the meta but they've been consistently strong in the meta um since that codex came out they've been consistently nerfed and yet they keep adapting surviving we've seen multiple iterations now of top tau lists how have you sort of navigated these choppy waters? Um, as a faction specialist, you haven't thrown out your army and just switched to the next most powerful thing. Each time they've been nerfed, you've you've obviously adapted. So what's sort of going through your head every time this happens? Um, what are some sort of lessons learned that you've, you've been able to experience from this constant change you've faced? Yeah, so I think um, one of my biggest strengths is obviously because I'm a, you know, I've only played Tau for a long time. I know how the kind of units work together and I know how it kind of gels together, if you will. Now, when the meta shifts, I always go with my golden rule, which is make a balanced list to tackle as many eventualities as you possibly can. Um, and then once you start to kind of work on that, you can make you know short, small changes to adapt to um, other things that happen. Like, let's say, you know, when NIDS came out with a Newcastle GT, I went in with a very balanced list, you know, two hammerheads, two breach of fish, two riptide, that kind of stuff. So I kind of had a, a little bit of everything and it served me very well um because the meta was nids and i ended up playing it your event I ended up playing like five out of six games which was tyranids <laughs> wow. so um i think my little short answer to that is i always go with a balanced list and then refine it as the meta evolves 
that's it was super interesting we touched on that sort of topic a, a couple of episodes ago where when there's a massive meta change defaulting to the most resilient list possible or uh, the list that has the most redundancy in terms of scoring is often a good choice because um who was it i think i was chatting to manny about his custody <coughs> um the australian custodies list that um you know, just was like all right well we're just going to put tons of bodies on the board that score easily and if you can kill them all i'll lose but you know if you can't i'm going to score and i'm going to win and he ended up winning the only uh, australian super major so mm. um it seems like your approach there is part of this sort of general pattern um that top players seem to be adopting which is in the face of uncertainty you can't do anything about what's going to go on externally you can only control what's going on internally um and building you know your list around that your game design around that so and i, I think, think one thing to add to that as well is that um when you start to kind of i suppose call in on your experience um you can make very small tweaks so just to plug a little change that i've made to my list at the moment which is just to have a, an indirect uh, cold star a cold star firing all the indirect just to deal with maybe what's going to come with guard or maybe eldar so it's using your experience and how you can see certain top players taking certain picks and then have little kind of spicy tools in there just in case yeah i think that's super important it tends to be something that's uh you know at the more upper end of play styles right it's when you mm. are able to optimize the 60 percent of your list so that you can then take all these tech pieces in the last 40 percent to do these specific jobs um now we're talking a little bit about adapting to change within an edition there you know how many times ninth has been variable for tau um, mm. but you've obviously also played tau um from the edition changes from eighth to ninth um ninth to eighth and eighth weren't super dissimilar in terms of core rules but there were some fundamental changes um how did you adapt in that situation where your codex is saying the same um but the core rules are changing was there any different approaches or it was it as same thing you just described i think it's um very much the same thing i've just described but then looking maybe for example um when the ninth edition um, with all the different changes to mission tertiaries and 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 you know the ways to kind of that primaries are scored it was just looking then at some of the key pieces that you have in the codex to kind of complement your game plan whilst factoring the big edition change um my um thing with the um breaches is a prime example um there was a good strategy where you can go and deny primary rather than just shooting people off primary so using things like that and uh, with addition like with a new addition everything's going to change again so just going back onto that balanced approach it will always serve you well in my opinion yeah i think you're right there and, and you, you say you're playing a balanced approach but sometimes you, you can't i mean tower primarily a shooting army um so we're expecting an addition change at some point and probably around this summer if Games Workshop's general release schedule um, is to be followed. Um, if the new edition does come and, say, Coral change and Shooting's Pants, um, you've had some success with Tau in the past. You know, I mentioned mm. earlier at Nottingham you were taking combat-based Tau army as much as that's possible. Yeah. Um, what other ways can a sort of a faction specialist think outside of the box in terms of defying, like, redefining what is standard or the um the baseline assumptions people are making about their faction um to try to sort of play better if if their faction is not particularly strong because of a core rule mechanic Hmm. I think the only kind of thing that I can draw on and share from my experience is that no, I'm a, I'm a very positive individual for those people that know me will, you know, um, that spoke to this, but like for me, I look at it and go, I'm facing a challenge here. Like I did when the Tau Codex was trash, 
do I look at it negatively and throw my toys out the pram or do I look at ways that I can play the game or or stay in it as a challenge as an achievement and that's what gave me the pride especially when you made the Grundy award because it was I looked at it from that mindset and so if things aren't necessarily aligned with your codex and the core rules of making it harder for you see it as a challenge and adapt to it because it'll actually give you and I do miss it if I'm it'll give you that new perspective I do miss it when my codex wasn't considered great because when they first came out just shooting everything indirectly and everything dies wasn't fun it wasn't challenging it wasn't tactical and i love it when the game is its most at its peak um when it comes to making tactical plays i don't like it when it's just point click shoot or you know run forward and charge i like a bit of adverse gameplay so, so actually that's what um, i'd say really interesting point you make there and it echoes um something from yesterday's episode that puma mentioned about you know primarily playing 40k for enjoyment now he is obviously you know in the running to to win an event so there's pressure from mm. from having to perform um but if i was to summarize what you just said there i would say what you eff- effectively said was if you are not competing to win the event you're no longer optimizing to maximize placing at an event you're playing to maximize enjoyment of the event and mm. you know when you bring that into effect you're basically just competing against yourself then you're not trying to go five and oh um and chasing different factions and different list builds to try to stay on at the front of that sort of wave of the meta um and competing against the other top players and instead you're just competing against yourself and your own record and obviously over the course mm. of the season your own placing and i think that approach is you know for long term you know people that are in the competitive 40k the tournament scene as their primary hobby side of 40k if they want to stay in it and don't get burnt out you know this is really the, the thing to be chasing and I think that is a you know an absolute golden nugget of wisdom there. So um, I've for, always tried to um, I've always tried to as well. One thing to add is I've always tried to kind of chase the behaviour, not the the outcome. And I think that's what I fell back on. You know, I'm chasing the behaviour of improving my own gameplay, not just going for that four and one, five and zero. Yeah, and this is super important. I think you know you were around as I was in pre eighth edition, where people were playing in a much different style of, of behavior at the tabletop, and you know mm. we've gone through massive improvements in uh, player conduct over the last couple of years, and we'll be talking about how that relates to judging and all these sort of interesting edge cases with a, another podcast interviewee um, in a couple of weeks. But um, it's also a lesson that you can share with other people and obviously doing that via podcast is one mechanism, but you also now have a coaching service. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, that? What's it called and what sort of services you're providing? Yeah. So um, obviously I had the pleasure of uh, working with Vanguard Tactics over the last year um, and I've decided to kind of go it solo to pursue my own goals. And I'm doing a Tau, predominantly to start off with a Tau based coaching service. I've called it the Pure Tide program. I've got a Discord. I've got just short of 500 members and I'm doing things like masterclasses, um, basic kind of stripped down academy sessions on things like, you know, deployment or key things that Tau players need to kind of look to perfect. Um, you know, I've got one-to-ones available. So it's pretty much my own uh Discord have been able to give my knowledge back to the, you know, I cheesily said the greater good, um, and you know, give them the, that confidence to to go to a tournament like you know, a super major, could be a GT, an RTT with enough knowledge that they can actually enjoy. Because Tower are very exciting but frustrating army to get right. Um, so I found that a lot of feedback from Tower players was that I'm struggling, I can't get my head around it, and I'm just getting you know ruffle stomped, <laughs> and, I, and I'm not enjoying my games. So that's where I saw the niche, and that's what I'm trying to tackle. 
Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, if you're playing Tau and you accidentally misdeploy or whatever and you get charged mm. turn one, you're sitting there for a three-hour game. You're probably only going to mm-hmm. play an hour and 45 minutes of that is you going to get smashed in the combat phase. So, yeah, you know, very interesting stuff there. But, you know, if you've got 500 people in your Discord, for sure there's going to be some 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 sleepers in there, some non-Tau players that are just looking for, for little wi- like nuggets of wisdom about how to beat Tau. Mm. You, uh, have you ever had a client who's who's approached you and said, look, I don't, I keep getting smashed by my mate. He plays Tau all the time. How would you advise me to, to counter them? Is, have you got any funny stories like that? Yeah, I've uh, got a few one of your guests <laughs> that came on the show last week, Chris Radford once, um, because me and him, have, we, we talked a lot because we were both running the you know un, un, underpowered factions, him with his Space Wars, me with Tau. And uh, with a new edition, you know, we were you know, tournament he came up, I was like, I'm going into Tau. Any advice? What should I do? And it was just a simple thing. I just said to him, just um, deploy your dreadnoughts and strategic pay CP, put them in strategic reserve, and it will definitely uh, frustrate the Tau player that you can't shoot them. And then you get to do your own engagement. And he did it. And he came over to me afterwards, bought me a beer and went, thanks for that. It won me the game. Oh, nice. So, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to coach the other way around because, again, in the same way, tower also frustrating to play against um, because sometimes they can just reach you and shoot you and you feel that, well, what was the point in placing your models on the board? So there's definitely options for me to do the opposite um, to actually help people play against tower, even though it seems like it's a bit backward. But, you know, coaching, developing and helping people is the, the core focus for me. And I want to expand it further past tau uh, when the when the time is right excellent well good luck with that where can people find out more about that so you'll find out um if you're on any of the tau competitive groups on facebook i generally kind of get in a habit of posting on there with updates and stuff um obviously i can share my discord link um, i don't know if there's an option where you can help me share it zach but these, these are the kind of things that i'll be doing it's purely just on discord at the moment but i'm going to be i've got bigger plans to expand it in terms of websites and various things like that but it's very early days at the moment Excellent. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. And of course, uh, LGT tickets come out on Friday. You're a regular on the scene. Will you be getting mm-hmm. your ticket uh, this Friday, Carl? A- absolutely, we'll believe. Yep. Awesome. Well, if anyone listening wants to get theirs, they're available from lgtpresents.co.uk from 2 p.m. this Friday. We're attempting to break that 1,000-player mark, and we'll be the first event in history to do so. So if you are on the fence, never attended a tournament before, maybe you're a Tau player looking to you know dip their toes into the the muddy waters of all these combat armies while you uh, come down to LGT this September and uh, we hope to see you there. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate you uh, making the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. It's like it's a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to This Week in 40K. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to find out more about what we talked about today or to get in touch with us, be sure to visit our website at www.twi40k.com. We would also really appreciate it if you would help us spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and recommending us to all your gaming buddies. And of course, don't forget to subscribe for more great content from This Week in 40K. We'll be back next week with even more news, updates, and opinions from the world of Warhammer 40,000. Until next time, thanks for listening.